Paris, 1687. Prelude. Nocturne. They say the devil made her, but I know better. She told me all her stories, and I witnessed a few. Yes, I remember the night it began. I remember the night it ended, too, but I'll tell that tale another time. I had become interested in a certain group of gentlemen of great quality, and had heard they were planning to meet by midnight on All Hallows' Eve in the Bois de Boulogne, that deep, dark wood that leaks from the western edge of Paris like a pool of blood from a vanquished duelist's side. Now this was the time of King Louis XIV, the Sun King, who very rightly spent his reign ignoring the poor and raising monuments to his own splendour. Neither he nor his police force, under the baleful rule of Monsieur de la Reynie, were interested at all in what happened beneath those trees, so long as it did not involve fermenting insurrection. It would have taken a brave revolutionary, or a lusty one, to visit the Bois at night, thronging as it was with whores and thieves and any other whose business proceeds better unseen. A man took his life in his hands to go there, and no woman of virtue would set foot beneath the trees, which was the point of these gentlemen choosing it for their little rendezvous, I think. These great men, you see, were lovers of frisson, of the charge that ignites the senses when mild danger is near, of pushing the edges of experience, of daring to do what others would not. Their idea of what that might entail might not be yours. It is probably a little extreme for your modern tastes. But let me just say that on a foggy autumn evening, when the moon hid her face, I can't really be bothered to paint the picture more clearly. You carry my drift. They had assembled with the noble intention of summoning the devil. As if you can summon the devil. That is an illusion fools have indulged in for centuries. You don't click your fingers and have hell come running. No, you make yourself interesting to hell. And then hell comes to look at you quite freely, and of its own accord. First, of course, they did summon someone, the young woman, by sending a letter to her lodgings and asking her to sing for them. She was unique, you see, even then. Her voice so pure a soprano that such had not been heard on the Paris stage in living memory. Beauty like that from a girl of no professional training Delivered with the sort of innocence that so stiffens the dicks of men of dark tastes, could only be the work of God, they surmised. And what better way to delight the devil than to destroy one of God's rarer creations? They had brought her there to kill her, for sure, and in no pleasant way either, as we shall see. A virgin, an artist, a flower of God. Yes, how could Beelzebub refuse such a sacrifice? But let me present her not in a dry tale told in this tawdry way, 
While I may not have the enthusiasm to describe the clinging fog, the torches in their veils of light, the deep smell of the horses, the wet autumn mud that encroached on the fine footwear of those gentlemen and threatened their pale stockings, I have nothing but enthusiasm for describing her. I will show you her, here nervous and flushed, as she steps from the coach that has delivered her to the woods. She rearranges her skirts as she steps down, feels the cloth of the skirt to try to adjust a stray garter. She has to fight her instinct to simply lift up the dress and secure the garter herself. High men might be close. She needs to watch her manners. Of course, she would not have gone willingly into the woods. But she has not been looking out of the windows for reasons that will later emerge. She has no sense of what she might become, this girl of sixteen. She has not yet taken the grand name they will howl through their tears as they lower her coffin down into the dead earth, two or three times, as it happens. She was never very good at staying dead. For now, she is plain old Julie Daubigny, who has been panting by the door of the Grand Opera in Paris for a month in the hope of an audition. <laughs>